fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolf Pack, what is going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, here from Roto Street Journal, where we breed and feed fantasy wolves on our first ever live stream of 2020. What better time than the free agency fallout? It has been insane these last couple weeks, and of course, I've been. Everything in the world is insane, much more than the NFL world, so hopefully you're all healthy and safe, quarantined, practicing our social distancing here, but I figured why not get live, break down this, and hopefully you guys are around to kind of chat, do some fantasy football. We're live on Facebook right now, but if you're listening to the Fantasy Fullback Dive, where we pave your path to 2020 titles, thanks so much for tuning in there. We appreciate it, and you can always catch these live broadcasts on Facebook. So thanks again for coming on in. This is our free agency fallout for 2020 and it has been insane. And before I could even get going uh, on this broadcast, we had some huge breaking news. I couldn't even put it on the menu. So you can see right there, it just says Todd Gurley is released. Holy hell, the Rams made a stunning move. I guess not that stunning considering their salary cap woes and how much was being burned into their back. But man, this guy not just two years ago was warranting MVP consideration, was the fantasy MVP, just carried owners all the way to titles, often won them those titles, and now a free agent. You look at the market and some of the big questions left are who's going to go to Tampa Bay? Who's going to go to Atlanta? The biggest value holes as we call them, the biggest openings out there in terms of maybe a three down horse could land at these spots. Really there's not a whole else a lot out there. So Gurley's either going to be ruining someone else's value and making a disgusting committee or potentially becoming another top 10 running back because of a three down workhorse role. So we'll see where he goes. It's going to be a very interesting to track. He's still an elite touchdown score, had double digits last year on very small touches. Uh, we saw them ramp down his workload a bit with the concerns over the arthritic knee, but this guy still was a study, still looked great. A little bit sluggish, sure, at times, but overall, still seem to have it, and maybe the next team will ride him out as he deserves to be. We've seen Bruce Arians do that if he goes to Tampa Bay, for example, with David Johnson before. So we'll see there what happens with Todd Gurley. And then what is he leaving behind there? Well, it could be the Daryl Henderson show. We love Daryl Henderson. We were stoked about this guy coming into the year. Ultimately did not see tons of time and did not really do much when he did get the time. But we still believe in the guy. He averaged over 10 yards per carry on zone running scheme plays. No team runs more zone blocking than the Rams. And that was in college where he averaged that. So ultimately, if he can get in a groove, they can feed him a little bit more. I expect huge things from Henderson. They wouldn't have done this move releasing Gurley unless they truly believed Henderson was ready 
Or maybe it's Malcolm Brown, the guy that was the first man up last year, a battering ram, great at the goal line. Probably some sort of committee there, but definitely both those guys have to shoot up boards. Don't be shocked if they end up the Rams making a draft day selection there. They, they love scouting the position, but still, their number one guy, the main guy that's been the engine of that offense, is now gone. And it is a huge value hole just because... They're all about marrying the run, receiving games. Uh, you know, 40 to 50% of the, all their touches come to the, through the backfield, especially in the receiving game as well. So Henderson, whoever it ends up being, could be a huge play. What's going on, Anthony? Good to see you, my man. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, and anybody else out there, any questions you have for fantasy football, for life, what are you doing in your quarantine? Comment on in. That's kind of why we're doing this too. Any likes are very much appreciated. Any shares onto your wall or any fantasy football groups you're in. Let's get a big group discussion. Let's you know, kind of connect here as we're all in our own little unique circles. But any, again, any likes, comments, shares, all that is greatly appreciated. So thanks so much for coming on down on this random live broadcast. We really, really appreciate it. Now let's get into some fantasy football risers here in free agency. Now something I do want to caution before we uh, get too deep into this is we all get so excited about these new free agents and their new homes. Oh, look how great he looks in his new jersey colors, all that good stuff. But ultimately, free agents typically go down in their fantasy production under 40% of all positions actually improve. Only uh, you know 30% actually beat their ADPs because we get so excited, so warmed up and ready for these guys in their new situations. But they don't end up panning out too regularly, uh, at least at the levels we expect in their new home. So I'm going to have a ton of risers here. I'm so excited about them, uh, as we all are, because it just is so much better to be positive than negative when we see all these new homes. But ultimately, very few times do these guys actually improve on the year before, and very rarely, even more so still, do they beat their ADP, their average draft position. So just a quick note, quick little warning. I have those exact percentages. We don't need to dive into it, but I just want to give that preface and now let's suck all these players off, right? Uh, the first guy I got to talk about here, though, Kyler Murray, now a top three fantasy QB for 2020. Yep, that's right. I am dead set on this guy. We were also all in last year. I think a little bit year too early. He's my QB seven coming into the year. That was six spots higher than where he was getting drafted. And he ended up right there at QB seven. So it didn't look like necessarily a loss, but we expected him to be that cheat code. Mahomes level, the air raid was going to truly ignite and blow up. That was Lamar Jackson into being the cheat code. We were not quite on there. Sorry about that one, folks, that we, we missed that. But this is the year. I think we were just a year too early. One, because DeAndre Hopkins is now there. This guy gets one of the, if not the best receiver in football right now. Certainly the best at contested catches, body control, all those elite traits. I mean, nobody has more sure hands than DeAndre Hopkins. And as a you know, rookie quarterback last year, now going into sophomore year, what more could you ask for than a weapon like DeAndre Hopkins? When the pocket breaks down in Arizona, it breaks down a lot because that crap offensive line. You need that guy that you can just huck to and know he's going to come down with it. And nobody's more sure-handed, better in 50-50 situations than DeAndre Hopkins. So that is huge for broken plays. And just in general, the guy can get deep. The guy is 
awesome in the red zone, uh, great at using that big body, that, that long, wiry frame uh, in contested situations. So we love that DeAndre Hopkins is there. I mean, look at what he had last year. Kyler Murray to throw to Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald. How old the fuck is that guy at this point? Like 70? Uh, he had nothing to go to, and now he gets one of the best in the, in the game. Christian Kirk, solid, definitely a much better, more viable number two. We'll get slid into the slot. Him and Larry Fitz will probably move around a lot. They finally have the weapons, though, to really take this thing off. And beyond just the new weaponry, Cliff Kingsbury already has said year two in the system uh, makes an enormous difference for our signal callers. Uh, he talked about how Patrick Mahomes upped his numbers just ridiculously, 7% more accurate. Uh, his touchdowns jumped from 2.2 per game to 3.5 per game. And he said, I expect something similar from Kyler Murray just because he's in year two of the offense. Instead of learning all the verbiage and, and getting his feet under him as a rookie, he's going to have that benefit of just building on it rather than everything being new. And that's going to be huge for Kyler Murray. So again, top three fantasy quarterback. Let's not forget the fact that this guy can run with the best of them. Insane athleticism for the quarterback position. They call it the Konami cheat code in fantasy. Uh, you know, was third in rushing last year. It didn't really have all that much design for him. So again, weapons upgrades, a year two in the scheme, more familiarity with this. And now you get uh, th that rushing upside too. I love Kyler Murray. The only two I would draft above him, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson, of course, and obviously. Well, looks like the running back screen has popped up here. My fault. That was Kyler Murray. We're going to now move on, though, to Tom Brady. Take a quick pause here. Pull up my notes on Brady. Alrighty, folks. Tom Brady, now a Buccaneer. So all us New England fans can shed a quick tear, you know, pour one out for our boy. And I know a lot of you guys watching here are probably... Uh, <laughs> going to be New England fans. Sucks. But ultimately, we got to rejoice in the fact that his fantasy value could not have gotten any higher than where he is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's get the obvious out of the way just because it turns me on to talk about this weapons cabinet. Holy shit, the Bucks. He goes from New England, who, what did he have? Julian Edelman? Yeah, solid, great, like a, an unbelievable slot weapon. I love Jules till the day I die. But what else did he have behind him? Nikhil Harry doing jack shit. Uh, great James White out of the backfield. Awesome, but that's your number two weapon in the pass game. And now you go from that to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's easily, in my opinion, the best tandem in the league. Maybe even Antonio Brown goes there. I, I've already heard rumblings that Bruce Arians doesn't want to deal with that headache. Who the fuck could blame him? That is an absolute nightmare of a situation. But what if Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, maybe even Todd Gurley, who is very much in their sights according to the rumors right now, and that was trading for him, never mind the fact he's a free agent. This could be a loaded, stacked offense here. It already is completely juicy. I said in my article here, you can go to rotostreetjournal.com to check him out. He's going from a squirt gun type of weapon to a nuke show. It's unbelievable what the weapons upgrade can be. James Winston, still free agent, led the league in passing here. 5,109 yards, 33 touchdowns. Yeah, we saw the uh, fucking interceptions, 30 interceptions as well. But they racked up the third most points per game with Jameis Winston. And this was before he had LASIK surgery, a blind bat just humming 
fucking duck over duck all over the field, letting his big bodies go and do it. A guy like Tom Brady, I know he's 43, but man, can he get the ball there still? He's never had weapons quite like this. Maybe when he had Welker and when he had Randy Moss, and we all saw what happened there. Record-setting 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. I would not be shocked if Brady went 4,800 and 30 to 35 or so TDs, not 50, and that's ridiculous. But if he can match what Jameis did and then cut down those interceptions, I mean, over the last four years combined, Brady has less interceptions, 29 combined in four years as compared to Jameis Winston just last year alone. So already you know that's going to be a huge step up for this team. They went 7-9, and nine, and seven of those nine losses were one point, I mean, one score game or less. And Brady, of course... Uh, in those games, James Winston had 18 interceptions. Brady is so careful with the ball. He's never had more than 14 interceptions in a single season. Five of his last six seasons, he's had single-digit interceptions. That's going to be just huge for this team in general. But how is this marriage going to happen? And I'd love to hear from you guys. Feel free to comment. I see all the questions coming in. I love it. Keep them coming. I'll get to each one of these after uh, I get through the quarterbacks here. But one thing that is interesting is... How is this marriage going to work between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady? We all know Bruce Arians at this point, the no-risk-it, no-biscuit style of offense. He loves to huck it. In fact, in nine of the last 11 seasons, his team has been top three in terms of air yards, and a bunch of those have been number one because he just loves to bomb it. He said himself, we go into each game with six deep bomb, you know, gun show type of plays, and we're not going to leave with the holster uh, with anything but empty. He's going to unload those rocks. And Brady, I love the guy. But if there's one thing he has kind of eroded on these last few years, it's the deep ball. He does not necessarily have that arm strength to just huck it down the field like Jameis Winston was so often. But the one thing I do love with Arians is he also said, and this was well before Brady got there, is he's all about working with his quarterbacks, crafting the weekly game plan. Just They go out to dinner nightly over the season. So Giselle's going to have to get used to you know Arians dining and whining with uh, Tommy every night because he loves to just get that system perfect. It's like the back of their hand by the time they get to the game plan. And you know Brady, uh, he already you know cited that. He wanted a collaborative coach as his number one reason. He's going to instill more of a New England offense than marry those vertical elements, those, those surprise deep shots, moving people all over the f- formation. I think it's going to work out perfectly, kind of like a yin-yang situation where their strengths are going to kind of complement each other. The things they haven't been doing so well are also going to complement each other and just create this perfect style of offense. And with these weapons, with an offense that hucks it time and time again, I think Brady, again, 4,800 yards, 30 or so touchdowns. He's risen up to my quarterback five in fantasy after being what would have been an afterthought. So I love Tom Brady next year. Next on the list, we got Josh Allen. Uh, in this guy, shocker right here, who was the number two quarterback in fantasy for the second half of the season from week seven on. We all know Tannehill was number three because I've beaten that into your heads and we're going to talk about that next. But Josh Allen was the only guy above Tannehill and then Lamar Jackson, number one, of course. That just goes without saying. This guy 
absolutely balled out last year. A lot of it because of the rushing yards. I mean, you, that's been back-to-back years. He's led the league in quarterback rushing touchdowns. He had nine last year, eight the year prior. You know you're going to get eight to nine rushing touchdowns. That's just what he does so well. That's how they call their plays. Uh, but again, you got the, the second in carries, only behind Lamar Jackson with 109. Second in red zone carries with 22. Third in rushing yards, 510. That's going to still be there. But what I am most enthused about is obviously the addition of Stefan Diggs, a true elite number one receiver. Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports calls him the best route runner in the game. And, you know, it's, in my opinion, not the greatest in the game, but pretty damn close. You can get it done at every single layer of the field. You can run every single type of route against every single type of coverage and win it. Uh, that's what I love about this guy. I think he's been underutilized in Minnesota, and I think he could really help ignite Josh Allen in the passing game numbers. This rushing game, that's always going to be there, but the passing game, especially in particular the deep ball for Josh Allen. He's been horrendous. There's no way of sugarcoating this. 6 of 50, 12% completion rate on passes over 30 yards with three touchdowns and three interceptions. And then, you know, only 30% completion rate on throws that are 20-plus yards, 6 TDs, 6 interceptions. He's been a disaster. He was 23rd in completion percentage out of 24 QBs uh, for deep ball passing last year. Insert Stefan Diggs, one of the best deep ball weapons of last year. Led the league in deep yardage, 625. 6 TDs also led the league. And quarterback passer rating on those deep passes was 130. Uh, this guy can get it done streaking down the field. He tracks the ball as well as any in the game. He burns through defenses. I love this fit. And again, yeah, Josh Allen, he certainly has to improve. his. He's got the cannon arm. He just kind of slings it and then you know it, it disconnects. But someone so good at tracking the deep ball, they're going to work tirelessly on perfecting that chemistry. You got to expect at minimum digs helps those numbers you know, double in potential, the completion percentage uh, because of how good he is there. So Josh Allen, again, the QB6 of last year, QB2 for the second half of the year. He could definitely be a top five quarterback in fantasy football now with an elite weapon. And they love 11 personnel. You get Diggs on the outside, Cole Beasley in the slot, John Brown on the other side. Second half of the year, as I talked about, number two quarterback, they switched to 11 personnel more than any other team. And they didn't even have a Diggsian type of guy for the X. No one's better at that type of position. Uh, I love what this offense could be. As a Patriots fan, I'm terrified for what it could be because this might be the Bills division from here on out. Next up, Ryan Tannehill. Couldn't ask for a better spot than him because he's sucked everywhere else other than Tennessee. He goes back home to where he was last year and where he thrived, as I hinted at with Josh Allen. The number three quarterback in fantasy football last year uh, was Ryan Tannehill for this, from week seven on when he took over as a starter. Uh, and part of that was insane touchdown uh, percentage here. 7.6% of his throws, uh, his rate was a touchdown there. That trailed only Lamar Jackson last year uh, and is a pretty almost historic rate. There's only you know 50 or so quarterbacks over the last you know 40 years who have had a 7.6% or higher touchdown rate. And as great and sexy as that sounds, that also suggests regression is inevitable. No doubt he's, he's going to come down. In fact, the passers that I suggested, they're the 53 or so that had a 7.6% touchdown rate. 
almost all of them. Only one actually improved and only one matched what he was doing. Uh, all the rest came down. The average they came down was 2.9%. Uh, so we think about, you know, maybe 5 6% touchdown rate. And this is one of the run-heaviest offenses in the league. I know how great he was. I know he can also score on the ground, too. He's, he's decently athletic, Ryan Tannehill. I do not see him putting up top 10 quarterback numbers despite going here. It's the best home for him. I'll still take him you know, around 10, 11, 12 when all the quarterbacks are going late. But to me, he's a fringe QB1. I love the numbers he put up. We were all about him. He's got great weapons. A.J. Brown's so dangerous and deadly after the catch. Makes Tannehill a lot better than he actually should be. But this is a Derrick Henry-led offense. We're going to talk about Derrick Henry in a second. Uh, this is a run-heavy scheme. I don't know that I can really get behind endorsing Ryan Tannehill as anything more than a fringe quarterback one, uh, despite this, again, being the perfect spot for him to land. Uh, he wouldn't even be draftable anywhere else. Another guy that has become a gone from a complete afterthought to now the guy there. I'm going to pause so I can pull up the stats here. Teddy Bridgewater is going to absolutely explode in Joe Brady's offense. Uh, this guy comes from the Saints, 5-0 and in his five starts. Nothing spectacular. Wasn't a monster over those weeks. Had one quarterback. He was the quarterback three one week. The rest of them, quarterback 15, quarterback 16. The stats weren't anything sexy, but that was with the Saints. Now he's going to this new exciting attack for the Panthers. I wrote a feature article on this. you got to check it out if you haven't yet about Joe Brady, who, if you don't know who he is, came over from LSU. We all know what they did last year. He was his first time being an offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, and they went, the, the stats are insane. I don't have them written down right here, but the way they blew up, they, they third time, all time ever, in terms of scoring, Joe Burrow broke record after record for quarterbacks because this offense just made it so simple for him. It was all about getting guys in space, getting the ball, and letting them do their thing. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, a lot of what Joe Brady did at LSU came from his time with the Saints. He was an offensive assistant there, learning under Sean Payton. That's why he became so attractive. That's why uh, Coach um, Ove there hired him and made sure to get him in the, the system because he was kind of this wonderkin that had learned under Sean Payton. And again, the results speak for themselves, the way that they lit the world on fire LSU last year. He's going to be bringing that same style. It's already a pro-style attack. It's going to be implemented there under Matt Rule. He said Joe Brady's going to be the guy calling the plays already. And Teddy Bridgewater was with the Saints while he was there, Joe Brady. So he already knows a ton of what this guy is going to do. There's a reason why they were willing to get rid of Cam Newton to bring in Teddy Bridgewater. Cam Newton clearly much more accomplished as a professional. So obviously Joe Brady had his guy in mind. He goes out and gets him. And look at the weapons that he's going to have to throw to. Curtis Samuel, one of the best deep ball artists. Uh, he's you know, routinely having ball after ball thrown over his head. Teddy Bridgewater, even though he's conservative, he gets this rep as a dink and dunk guy, and he is because of that Sean Payton system. But man, he can still sling that rock. He's got a great sidearm where he just flicks it and it goes. Uh, so Curtis Samuel, he's been having ball after ball sail over his head. I really think this is going to be a great move for him. Obviously, DJ Moore, already one of the best receivers in the game uh, last year. His game could get elevated to a whole new level with Teddy Bridgewater now there. Uh, goes without saying, we haven't even brought up the best weapon they have there, Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, an insane weapon, an insane receiver there. So you have to love all those guys, the weapons around him, the system, 
we you know we grade out our fantasy talent uh, you know stock scores comes down to talent system surrounding talent usage and this is going to be a pass happy attack and a great you know system to set him up for success getting the players out in space I think Teddy Bridgewater on my quarterback 13 right now but he could be that guy we've seen Mahomes we've seen Lamar Jackson Bridgewater truly could be that late round 11 12th or so uh, quarterback to your draft that ends up lighting the world on fire. I'm all about it. I'm all about Teddy Bridge. Last but not least, and I'm going to get to your questions before we move on to the next positions here. But Philip Rivers, new home. go New home, same system that he's used to, though, going to the Indianapolis Colts. The biggest thing here is the protection. That offensive line might be the best in the league. If not, it's certainly top five. Quentin Nelson just an absolute monster. But ever since they, they've really made a concerted effort. They already know Costanzo's back. They they re-signed him to extension. So this is going to be a stark upgrade for Phillip Rivers compared to what he was dealing with with the Chargers. Constantly under duress, no time to set his feet, time to get those deep balls slinging. Uh, so one that is just the biggest part of this equation is the line upgrade. The offensive weapons around him, nothing special here. You got T.Y. Hilton, you got Naeem Hines, who we're going to talk about, you know, Jack Doyle. That pales in comparison to Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams. You know, they had all these unbelievable weapons there. But I think it's more important for Rivers to have the time to sit back there and pick teams apart. And I love that he already has experience with Frank Reich. They had two years together. In, uh, I think it was San Diego back then uh, with the Chargers, but he threw for over 4,300 both times. Never hit 30 touchdowns, but certainly could get to that 4,300 yards, 25 to 30 touchdown range back with Frank Reich. Uh, no one's going to want him. This is Phillip Rivers. He's gross, ugly. And last year, he didn't look great. Uh, some severe aggression with that deep ball, but that's not the Frank Reich way. It's dinking, it's dunking, it's getting guys in space and letting them do their thing. I definitely could see... Philip Rivers having a decent quarterback two resurgence, and there's certainly some weapons that are going to greatly benefit from him. Alrighty, guys, let me get to your questions as I pull up my running back uh, stats that I'm going to be sharing with you in a sec, because that's going to be next. I'll pull up the uh, guys that you know for risers, so so you have a sense of who we're going to be talking about here. But man, uh, I'm excited to discuss some of these guys. Kenyon Drake back in a great spot. David Johnson now in Houston. We have some running backs for sure to break down, and I'm looking forward to it. But let's get to your questions, guys. What do we have here? Uh, Matt Duckworth, Drake, Arian Foster, speed in the system. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what you mean there. Duck, but and thanks for sharing. It tells you, you know, it, those of you who share out. So I appreciate you, you Duckworth, getting this out for us. Um, but Drake, yeah, he's going to be a monster. So we're going to talk about him in a second. Good Lord, can you imagine the Texans if they hadn't traded for Hopkins being able to get Gurley to the sign cheap? Seriously, Matt, like what were they thinking getting rid? Uh, that might be the worst trade of all time. Have, have you ever seen a trade worse than this? Uh, they, they absorb one of the worst contracts in football with David Johnson. Uh, give a second rounder, and that's it for an elite talent like DeAndre Hopkins. Again, in my opinion, a top three, maybe number one uh, receiver in the league. If Stephon Diggs got a first, fourth, and fifth for him, 
why the hell couldn't they get that for DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, just ridiculously. Coach, oh, it was not working out here. Fucking Bill O'Brien, get your shit together. Absolutely pathetic to have him. How many times is he going to get boned in trades before they finally just get rid of this absolute buffoon as their general manager and head coach? It's absolutely pathetic. Uh, they could could have been so much better, and we'll talk about why he goes down. Thank you for that compliment, Tuan. I appreciate it. Ronnie, what's going on? Hopefully all is well at Crave, my man. We're calling in some breakfast soon, so looking forward to that. Uh, what's up, Giuseppe? Great to see you guys tuning in. I love it. Pete saying, with Brady, I don't think that he's lost the deep ball. So he doesn't he just doesn't throw them. He's had so few true deep ball pass catchers in his career that the deep ball hasn't been a mainstay. But like you said, Aaron's designed these plays. So I think it's something Brady and the wives will work on and be successful at. I can't disagree at all there, Pete. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you fully. It has not been a staple of our offense. We've all been, you know, as Pats fans, we all know, this is a small ball style of system where – uh, it, it's Dinkin, it's Duncan, especially to the slot receivers, the guys out of the backfield, just wearing teams down, founding that you know mismatch and exploiting it, just wringing all the juice. But it's always quick hitters. So I, I'm with you. I don't think it's that he lost the deep ball. It's just that they haven't really schemed it. And that's going to be the big difference with Arians is he's going to find the way to exploit teams with these big chunk plays as long as Brady can deliver that mail at 43. I think he can. That's why I have him as a quarterback five next year all about it. Uh, I think it's going to be the perfect. You know, and, and I think Brady's going to help Arians in the sense that yes, we go deep. We're going to you know, exploit these plays when they don't. They expect him. I love it. You know, they're big about second and two. The down and distance doesn't think you're going to go deep, and suddenly they run a deep post out of the slot, and and boom, forty yards on the field. Mike Evans is streaking. You really don't. My game's gonna be covered if you just lob it up. He's one of the best ball trackers and one-on-one, -on -one just outman you type of guys. He, he, Brady hasn't had anything like this since Randy Moss, and we saw what happened. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Maybe they just haven't had the weapons, and that's why. And Brady, no one will be shocked if he's the number one quarterback come the end of next year. I know CJ, you threw in a good MVP bet there, so I'm all about it. Wolfie, watching while doing a quarantine workout. Gonna need an inspirational pep talk. I want to know what you're doing for that workout, Bailey. I want you know 50 burpees. Give them to me right now, my man. I, you got this. You're a Hall of Famer. You don't need inspiration. The inspiration comes from within for a Beverly Hall of Famer, baby. Can't wait for your ceremony if it's still happening. And is there even a slight chance Jules goes to Tampa or is Dion just talking nonsense? I think it's nonsense. How could the Pats let him go unless they are going to be on full-blown tank mode, as as they might be. We, we don't know quite yet what's going on here. They haven't re-signed any of their free agents, but I can't imagine Jules goes there too. But he did like that post, as we've all seen at this point. Uh, the Twitter post from um, where, where someone said Brady did, Brady can't be without Edelman. Get him to Tampa. Jules gave it the like, so who knows if that thumbs up is telling at all. All right, you guys, keep your questions, comments coming in. Again, any likes or shares help this get discovered, and it's huge for us. If you're in any fantasy football groups and willing to drop it in there, that is also amazing. This, of course, is a product of the RotoStreetJournal.com where we breed and feed fantasy wolves. So your comments, your likes, your question mark, uh, you know, all that stuff helps us get discovered, and it's greatly appreciated, especially in the offseason where things are dead. We have no sports, as Jose Vega was saying earlier. Uh, get some people watching this. Keep the conversation going. Talk with each other as I now run through these running backs and who's upgraded, who's downgraded. 
and all that good stuff. Starts at the top here with Kenyon Drake, as Matt Duckworth was already saying, already in love with Kenyon Drake. He's incredible. Uh, we've always loved this guy. He's just been trapped in hell with Miami. He finally shook free last year with the Arizona Cardinals. This is where we want him to go back to because once he got there from week nine on, he was the number three running back in fantasy. Only Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey had more points than Kenyon Drake from week nine on. He was the definition of a beast. He has great three down talent and that's what Cliff Kingsbury loves. In fact, he called him a perfect pit fit for what we do. Uh, the slashing running style, he understood the offense right away and that's why we gave him such a heavy workload and all he did was respond to it. So I'm all about Kenyon Drake. He, he did respond perfectly. He already performed so well here. And now they what could be even better, he was the running back three there with David Johnson still around. Now granted, of course they didn't feed David Johnson. He looked like a piano was strapped to his back. We're going to talk to him about him in a second. Uh, but still, getting him removed is now that much more of a clearer path to keep being a top three workhorse. He played 70% of the snaps in all but one of those eight games with the Cardinals. And five out of eight were 83% or higher snaps. So the definition of a true workhorse, that's what makes the air raid so dangerous, is not having to substitute, keeping the pedal on the metal. And we just talked about why this offense could be even more dangerous next year because of DeAndre Hopkins, because of year two with Kyler Murray. So as good as Drake was, he's on pace for 16 touchdowns, scored eight in eight games there. Uh, this offense could be that much better and facilitate even more scoring chances for this guy. So I love Kenyon Drake. I have him right at my, my first round fringe. Him and Austin Eckler, my you know, 12-13. You have the turn. You can get those two, especially in a PPR league. You are doing yourself a, a great start. There's only two wide receivers, Michael Thomas and the aforementioned uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And Hopkins and him are still you know right neck and neck for me. Those are the only guys I would consider at wide receiver above Drake and only 10 running backs I have in my rankings above this guy. He is going to be a monster in year two with the Cardinals. I'm so pumped that he's back with them. Next up, David Johnson. What is this guy's value after last year? Can he rebound and be a running back two or better with the Texans? The volume will be there for him because they truly have no one left. They had the most vacant backfield now that Carlos Hyde, a free agent. Lamar Miller didn't play last year, but he was also a free agent. No team had more carries up for grabs. Nearly 60% of their backfield rushing attempts were there. They still have Duke Johnson there, the main pass catcher guy, uh, but ultimately... You know, 270 carries or so are now up for grabs. The Texans have ranked top 12 in rushing attempts in all six seasons of Bill O'Brien. <sighs> Disgusting Bill O'Brien. But again, top 12 in all six of them. And three of those six seasons, 50% of them, he's been top five in running back carry. So this guy loves to pound the rock and he might not have much more of a choice this year. And now that he traded away his only viable wide receiver weapon. So David Johnson should see 250 plus carries. We saw Carlos Hyde come out as a thousand yard rusher in this offense. And I think David Johnson could easily hit those numbers. Now, is he healthy? Is he going to be the same guy that he was you know, 2016, we haven't seen that David Johnson in forever. But if healthy, there's nobody that brings the size, the speed, the power, the receiving ability. I mean, he was a monster three-down horse, one of the best in the game. 
we just haven't seen that in three seasons, so why would we suddenly start expecting it to rebound in 2020? Hopefully we see reports and see video of him working out and just looking as spry as he's looked in years. Uh, that would make me feel great about this fit because, again, the volume's going to be there. The offense as a whole, though, obviously took a pretty big hit without Hopkins. I expect it to be one of the worst offenses in the league, to be honest, because they have no wide receivers that are going to take pressure away. I'm nervous about this box being completely stuffed, and Johnson hasn't averaged over four yards per carry in three straight seasons. I think he's going to be running into a lot of brick walls. That offensive line is mediocre at best. Uh, that, that franchise has clearly got no idea what they're doing. I don't love it, but certainly he is in a better situation than what he would have been last year. But the one thing I hate most about this situation is how minimally Bill O'Brien throws to his running backs. That's what David Johnson does the best and he has never, Bill O'Brien, ranked, uh, he's only had one season where he's ranked above 26th in terms of pass attempts to running backs. Uh, last year, 28th, 79 total running back targets, 62 to Duke Johnson, his top guy. 2018, 32nd, dead last, only 68 total running back targets, 35 to his top guys. 28th in 2017, 28th in 2016, had an anomaly of a year, 2015, 11th in running back targets, and then 2014, 26. So you just hear those numbers, it's been pathetic. Uh, still, 28% of that aerial pie in, in DeAndre Hopkins is now vacated, so maybe they do a lot of unique formations where they split Duke or David Johnson out wide. Who knows exactly what's going to happen here, but you know the rushing work's going to be there. The fantasy ceiling might be capped, though, if Bill O'Brien does not buck this trend of not using his running backs in the past game. Still, though, he goes from an afterthought on draft day if he had still been with the Cardinals to now running back 26, I believe, in my rankings here. So the price is right. If he's sitting there in your round five or six, you can get him as a flex upside stab. Maybe, just maybe, he regains that magic uh, of 2016. I'm not holding out too much hope for it, though. A guy I am holding out a ton of hope for, though, that's Miles Sanders. He is set to thrive in 2020 as a fantasy running back one with Jordan Howard now on the Dolphins. I am a huge fan of this guy's talent. He was trapped in the Doug Peterson usual running back by committee, uh, playing you know 50% or fewer snaps in all but one of the first nine weeks. And that's how Peterson's always done it. He's only had a running back entering this year, top 75% of the snaps one time in 57 games, and only four times has a running back topped 60% of the snaps in 57 games until Miles Sanders' week 11. That's when Jordan Howard went down, and after that time frame, Miles Sanders logged 84% of the snaps, 85%, 88%, 56%, and 71%, and 82%. Uh, you just keep hearing 80, 80, 80. That never happens with Doug Peterson. That goes to show how highly he thought of this talent. And over that span, Miles Sanders averaged 19.8 uh, touches per game and ultimately was the running back three in those spans, week 11 to week 16 in fantasy football. I, I know Drake was a, a, the running back three from week nine there, but if you zoom in a little bit more to when Sanders was that actual hog, that actual backfield horse, he was the running back three for that brief little span there, trailing only Zeke and Christian McCaffrey over that span. He had 112 points, that was 18.8 .8 per game. 
and more telling too. Anytime he had 20 touches, it only happened three times, but the three times he had 20 or more touches, Sanders was the running back six with 21.5 points, the running back three with 35.2, and the running back seven with 26.6. So he topped 20 points every time he had 20 or more touches. And now he's in line. Jordan Howard's gone. He said he hoped to be back with the Eagles. They didn't really make any type of effort to sign this guy. Uh, So he's gone. Jordan Howard's there. And we saw these numbers completely spike without Howard there. That means Sanders, I, I would not be shocked at all if the Eagles make a backfield move. Maybe it's Matt Breida. Maybe they draft a guy. But they're clearly endorsing Miles Sanders at this point. And if he can, again, have that 60 to 70 to even 80% of the snaps that he was doing last year, he's going to be a top seven running back right now. Because of Peterson's sketchy history, I have him sliding in right around running back 12. Uh, but still, that's a, that's a running back one there. So second round, look for Miles Sanders, especially if they don't make any big backfield moves. My running back 13, I should say, uh, for this coming season. Now for a guy that really needs no introduction, that's Derek Henry. Holy shit, the human steamroller, the bulldozer, whatever the fuck you want to call him, Tractor Cito <laughs> is his nickname on many shows. This guy is a beast. There's no doubt about it. He finally, thank the fantasy lords, was unleashed last year uh, by Arthur Smith. I finally got a coach that knows a thing or two about football, apparently, because he's the definition, Derrick Henry, of better with a lather, wear down the defense as a 260-pound monster just steamrolling you. You don't want to keep tackling this guy time and time again so when you can give him 25 30 carries which they started to finally do this year that means he's going to bulldoze and bulldoze he did he led the league in rushing attempts 303 rushing yards 1540 and rushing tds with 16 led all three of those crucial categories for fantasy football and what was even better was ryan Tannehill's now back that was huge for this guy in those first six weeks without ryan Tannehill, with marcus mariota playing no real stability no real offensive pulse there Henry was the running back 14, 14 14.1 points per game. And then he was the running back two from week seven on, 22.5 points per game. And that includes PPR formats where everyone's like, oh, you can't use him. He's, you know, so dependent on uh, running and he doesn't catch the ball. He still is the number two guy in PPR formats. It didn't matter. That's how much of a steamroll he was. We saw him carry them through the playoffs, destroyed our Patriots, destroyed the Ravens uh, on the backs of this guy. And they go and bring him back. Could he be even better? So, I mean, already the running back two last year over that span. Now Tannehill's back. But could he be even better this year, Derrick Henry? Yes, I think he could. Because Deion Lewis is now gone. And that's opening up 12 routes per game. That's opening up maybe a third down role that he didn't have. And nobody thinks of Derrick Henry as an incredible receiver. But he actually is solid. Uh, if you watch his combine tape, he was great in all the receiving drills. He's averaged 10.1 yards per reception in his NFL career. 11.4 in 2019 was second highest among running backs. He averaged 13.8 yards per catch on screens. You get this 
beast with blockers in front of him. And, and there's nobody that can get this guy down. Uh, it, I mean, the, the upside here is 2,100 yards, 20 TDs if he end, ends up inheriting those Deion Lewis snaps. He's only averaged 1.6 targets per game. You got to imagine with Lewis gone, that at least doubles, and that could end up making this guy an unstoppable force. The only guy I truly have locked in above him right now is Christian McCaffrey. Saquon, pretty close to. I have I have those two neck and neck. I don't know which one I'm going to go when the name gets called, but Derrick Henry, at worst, my running back three in my fantasy rankings. Arthur Smith is back. They ran at the fourth highest rate. Uh, you know, the Conklin, yeah, he's gone, but they signed Kelly, who's a very capable backup tackle last year for him. So this line remains a top eight line in the league. They're going to be a top five run heavy offense and maybe some more receiving work for Henry. I love everything about it. Now, Kikes could threaten him, the running back four last year. Insane to even say that. Austin Eckler. I love Austin Eckler this year. They committed to him. The Chargers finally said, this is going to be our guy, Melvin Gordon. Still a free agent, still lingering out there. But at this point, he's expected to be gone and uh, and not return with the Chargers. Giving Austin Eckler the driving the keys to this invaluable offense. They threw the running back, Anthony Lynn's system, uh, the first most this year, and now the uh, second, I think it was the third most the year before. So Anthony Lynn loves throwing to his backs. Austin Eckler, over 100 targets, 92 receptions, nearly 1,000 yards and 18 TDs through the air, right back to that role. Uh, it's even more so going to get the carries there. The first half of the year, those first four weeks, not first half, but those first four weeks before Melvin Gordon was there, only Christian McCaffrey had more points than Austin Eckler um, because he was that true every down, three down threat. And that's likely what he's going to be this year too. They talked about at the Combine how they love to have a second guy so they can use Eckler out wide, line him up in the slot. Uh, they, they don't want him to be an every single down snap guy. But those first four weeks tell me otherwise. Over 70% in all but one of those games of the snaps, 80% in a couple too. Uh, he had averaged 20 touches per game, no other running back. Touched the ball more than nine times over those first four weeks. So I believe this is going to be the Austin Eckler show, uh, and he's going to thrive. He, he, again, the running back four in fantasy with Melvin Gordon taking more than half of the snaps uh, for this from week five on. If we get that week one through four Eckler all year, it's going to be unstoppable, folks. So I love Austin Eckler. I love the fact that Melvin Gordon most likely not going to be back there, and this is going to be his backfield. And last but not least, least here, let me pull up my notes. Naeem Hines, <laughs> not the sexiest of names here, but I'm telling you right now, this guy has top 15 PPR fantasy running back upside for 2020. Why? Phillip Rivers, we just talked about him going to the Colts. Nobody has peppered running backs quite like Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady over these last couple years. Last year, obviously we just talked about Eckler's stats, 92 catches, over 100 targets, uh, insane, but they ranked. This isn't just an anomaly, it's just an Eckler you know, dominant talent. We got to pepper this guy. No, the year before that, the Chargers ranked fifth in running back targets, 137, and then third in terms of running back pass percentage, 28.4% going to them. 
Uh, and then the year before, they didn't even have anything dynamic and still were 10th, uh, top 10 in one, with 124 targets, 23% of them uh, to the running back in that aerial pie. Don't forget Danny Woodhead. We're talking about pass-catching specialists here. Eckler last year, Danny Woodhead in 2015-2013 was hurt 2014, uh, but 2015-2013 had 80 receptions on 106 targets and 76 receptions on 88 targets in those three years. He was the running back 11 and running back three in PPR formats. Uh, again, Austin Eckler running back four last year. Naeem Hines is that pass-catching specialist for the Colts. He's one of only 30 running backs in NFL history to have at least 100 receptions and 745 yards in two seasons. Guys like Le'Veon Bell, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey on that elite list. Naeem Hines is with some ridiculous company there. And the one time he had solid quarterback play, Andrew Luck, his rookie season, Naeem Hines had 63 receptions. So he was eighth in the NFL in that span. This is a guy that can definitely catch the ball. Very solid out of the backfield in that sense. Um, and now he's got a guy, Phillip Rivers, who targets running backs more than anybody else. So when you're circling people for your late round cheat sheet, you have to have Naeem Hines on there. I'm telling you right now, 90 catch candidate here. Top 15 PPR upside with Naeem Hines. He's now my running back 30, uh, and that's pretty damn high because it's a deep running back class this year. But check out Naeem Hines for a running back sleeper. All right, folks, let me get back to your questions, comments. What do we have here? DJ has torpedoed two seasons for me. Might give him a chance to do it a third time in 2020, says Bill Jagir. <laughs> I, I'm going to have a hard time trusting him, but this year at least he's not going to cost you a first round or a top five pick as he's done so many times. So if he sucks, at least he's not going to torpedo you quite like he has in these last few years. Uh, at least you, you have you know confidence and faith that it's only costing you a round five or six pick. I, imagine, I can't imagine anybody takes him in round one if they have a fucking pulse and brain. Uh, that'd be just ridiculous. What else do we have here, Doc, here? Think like a cornerback when it comes to football. Uh, if the past haunts you in fantasy, you'll miss out on major value going going forward. So, Doc, some wise words for you, Bill Jagir. Uh, don't don't be stuck in the past there. Um, what else have we got? With the absence of Hopkins commanding the lion's share, maybe they marry the, the run in pass games a little more. you got to think so, Doc, as I talked about. Bill O'Brien bottom. Uh, in the league and pass attempts to running backs in five of his six seasons. So I, I don't have too much face. Thoughts on Henderson? Does Brown scare you? So we talked about that at the top there, Daniel. Um, but yeah, Gurley gone is is insane just to think about that, first of all. Uh, but, but ultimately, my thoughts on Henderson are I love his fit. Zone runner, you know, was the best zone runner in college coming out last year out of Memphis. Over 10 yards per carry on zone style runs. Um, so, you know, the fact that the Rams run so much zone blocking and love to throw to running backs, he's a great receiver out of the backfield, does that marrying of um, the run and pass games as well as anybody. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love Henderson. Brown does scare me. I think he would be the goal line guy, as he was even for Gurley. Uh, subbing out for him a little bit last year. So I, I'm not fully confident in Henderson yet, and I don't know if the Rams are done quite yet with backfield moves. But so much of that offense, again, marrying the run and pass games, comes from the backfield, from the play action, from the screens off of designed runs, from the play action and you know zipping out of the backfield. So I think Henderson definitely has some serious value. Uh, and if he's the guy going into the year, has to be considered a top 20 running back. We'll see what else they do. 
uh, this offseason, though, because um, I can't imagine they're completely done making moves at the position. Um, again, guys, keep any of your questions coming in. Uh, the reason I do this live is so that it is a dialogue between us. Um, and that's what I love, especially in this time where human interaction is as limited as possible. I'd love to talk to as many of you guys. So keep your questions, commentary all coming in. We're going to move now to wide receivers where we've already previewed some of the biggest moves. Um, but let's talk about them. I'm going to take a quick pause, get a sip of water. I'm good, thanks. All righty, guys. Back with you here for wide receivers. And who better to lead off with than DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, where else can you start here? I'd say he's going to be even better for fantasy in the Cardinals air raid offense. DeAndre Hopkins, better than before. How could you be better after this guy has been insane over these last few seasons? He hasn't been below a top five wide receiver outside of that one year uh, with Brock Osweiler. Um, So four out of his last five, top five numbers for DeAndre Hopkins. Can he really be better than that? I'll tell you why I think he can. One, the offense is just that much more you know, innovative and creative under Cliff Kingsbury. They use their wide receivers so well in this offense. No team targeted wide receivers more than Cliff Kingsbury's air raid. Nearly 70% of throws went to the wide receiver position, and that was with corpses to throw to. Larry Fitzgerald at age 70. Uh, Christian Kirk, clearly not a number one, and yet they still peppered wide receivers relentlessly. You get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, he should easily push. He had 150 targets last year. I could see him hitting 170 to even 200 in this air raid style offense. Um, You take that next step forward with Kyler Murray. I I love Deshaun Watson, so I mean, I at this point, Kyler Murray, not quite on that level. So a little bit of a surrounding talent decrease, I guess, despite the scheme upgrades. But Kyler Murray, I think, is right there. And I would not be shocked if this guy takes a enormous year two leap and is looked upon as one of the best quarterbacks in the game. I think it happens uh, personally. And so after totaling, you know, 8.5 more points per game last year, I think this whole offense takes an enormous step forward and gets to right around that 30-point range, kind of like the, the Ravens last year, 20-ish points the year before, and they get leap up to 30 points per game. I could see that with the air raid, and I think DeAndre Hopkins would be on the receiving end of 12 to 15 of those touchdowns there. Uh, it's, again, broken plays. This is that go-to guy Kyler Murray lacked that he's going to love to have just throw the ball to on broken situations. So I'm all about it. What's up, Tunes? No flu here. Uh, thank God. Um, hopefully you're doing all right, too. Um, keep me posted on how everything's going. But again, DeAndre Hopkins, much higher on him. Uh, not much higher. You can't be that much higher. He was already my quarterback, too. But he now becomes a first-rounder, in my opinion. Next up, Will Fuller. I was talking about the guy that got left behind here um, at as DeAndre Hopkins departed for this air raid offense. I like Will Fuller a lot for the five games he's going to last. You have that obvious concern there um, with the health here. He's only played 42 of 64 games. That's 65%. And he's been hampered for a lot of the ones he's actually been 
out there for. You got ACL tears, you have multiple hamstring pulls, you have shoulder and rib fractures. You probably already tore something climbing the depth chart here. But if not, if he's out there, he could be a dominant force. He already has great chemistry with Deshaun Watson when he's not dropping. Again, dropping the ball too. Inconsistencies with health, inconsistency with on the field drops. But when out there and when playing well, he has some dangerous chemistry with Watson, one of the only receivers on that team with any type of chemistry with Deshaun Watson. Entering last year, and again, he was coming off an ACL tear, never seemed to really be himself, at least until midseason. Uh, but entering last year, he had only 11 games with, DeAndre, uh, with Deshaun Watson here. 19, 20, 14, 29, 25, 21, 14, 3, 5, 12.8, fantasy points. That's nearly 50% top 10 wide receiver performances and only two out of 11 games were actual duds there. So this guy was thriving with Deshaun Watson. Last year, oh, I don't know what to make of this because it's such a disparity. Those 11 games versus the 11 games of last year really only had one actual blow-up game last year, and it was insane. It was the best wide receiver game of the last 20 years. 217 yards, three touchdowns, and 14 catches for 53.7 fantasy points. Ridiculous. Uh, but ultimately, that was 40% of his total for 2019 fantasy production in one out of 11 games. So that kind of highlights how streaky he is and streaky, streaky he was, especially last year. But could he find some more consistency now in that number one receiver role? It's a double-edged sword, right? He's now going to be drawing number one coverage. He's going to be the number one focal point. They're going to definitely have safeties. So much of these big games and these blow-ups have come because he's feasting on number twos. Is he still going to be able to thrive quite so uh, heavily now getting the number one corners of teams? We'll have to see. I think he can do it. He's got that 4-3 speed. He's deadly. And number two, could he actually hold up in a 150-plus target role? Those, you know, he's the clear number one here. Those DeAndre Hopkins vacated volume has to go somewhere. And this is the guy that has by far the best established chemistry. But his body hasn't held up in a number two role. Could it actually hold up in a number one role? Remains to be seen. If it does, we're talking about a top 12, top 15 receiver that you're going to get for a wide receiver 30 or so price. Uh, but ultimately... We'll see. Uh, you know, 192, 151, 174, 163, and 150. Those were DeAndre Hopkins' target totals. Bill O'Brien loves peppering that number one guy. So, again, that looks to be Will Fuller. They're definitely going to be run heavier than ever before with these weapons gone. We don't know if he's going to stay healthy. But if we get 12 or so games, we're talking about a top 15 wide receiver here that's going to come at a wide receiver three price. So, at minimum, you got to bump him up quite a bit in your rankings uh, I, I like him right around round five or six to, to be my number three receiver, and I immediately get a safer guy right after. Other weapons, and good to see some other familiar faces, Tunes and Wilkes tuned in. Thanks so much. I'm going to get to your guys' comments and questions in a second. But another guy, uh, similar to this Hopkins situation, I'm going to take a quick breath here. All righty. Another guy with vacated volume that's going to thrive with it is Adam Thielen. He returns to a wide receiver one role because Stefan Diggs is out. Uh, and Adam Thielen, I know he was banged up last year, only 30 catches, uh, the pathetic output because he only played in 10 games. 
but that's distracting people from the fact of how good this guy was even just a year prior. 113 catches, 1,379 yards, and nine scores. Uh, the year before that was another you know wide receiver eight the year before that. So, man, this guy has been a monster. And prior to his Week 7 hamstring injury, he was again on pace for another top 10 wide receiver season. He was the wide receiver at 9 over his first six weeks, having six touchdowns uh, and only fell below 12.5 points just once in those six weeks. Uh, the wide receiver 5 and wide receiver 9 the two years before that. So, in short... He was a top 10 wide receiver whenever healthy these last three years. And that was with Diggs there. Now he's going to be the unquestioned number one. 94 targets, that's 22% share. Uh, you know, 63 catches, 1,100 yards, 6 TDs, all now up for grabs. Um, and you got to think most of that goes to Adam Thielen. One, because he's got that ironclad chemistry with Kirk Cousins. That's part of what made Stephon Diggs so angry there was how much more... Uh, Adam Thielen was getting peppered over Diggs. Everyone all loves Diggs' athleticism and the route running. Thielen was and still is that true number one wide receiver there. Um, and even in six less games last year, this is especially true in the red zone, he had five targets to one targets uh, for Diggs in the red zone. And that, again, Thielen was hurt for six of the games and barely played in two to three others. And he had more touchdowns, seven to six, and... Uh, on, on those games, even though he played six less games. So that, that goes to show just how much more Thielen is trusted in the red zone. And behind him, what do we have? B.C. Johnson, Laquan Treadwell, Chad Beebe, Alexander Hollins. Who the fuck are these guys? I don't even know half of this depth chart right now. So who the fuck are you going to throw to? It's Adam Thielen. It's Adam Thielen. It's Adam Thielen. And that's especially true in a Gary Kubiak, who took over as offensive coordinator this year, style offense. He's historically peppered wide receiver ones. His top guy has averaged um, 150 or more targets in 10 of 23 seasons, had 90 or more catches in 12 of 23, 19 of 23 times. He's had a 1,000-yard receiver, um, 131 or more targets in 17 of 23 seasons and twos. So you got to expect Adam Thielen at least 130 targets, if not 170 coming his way. Uh, and for context, the number nine wide receiver had 133 targets last year. So I really think Adam Thielen is going to be peppered beyond belief. Uh, 170-ish, 100 catches on those targets. This guy's going to blow up this year. He leapfrogs up to wide receiver 12 in my rankings, uh, 32nd overall. So right around that round, you know, two, middle round three or so, a true wide receiver one that's not going to be looked upon as that because of how bad that team, uh, how, how bad he was injured last year. couple more wide receivers here. We're going to hit a few fallers in a little bit too, but I want to get to your questions. This one's quick. Amari Cooper. Back to where he was last year, back to where he dominated last year. Uh, so thrilled to see him back with the Cowboys. Was the wide receiver seven, uh, and that was playing banged up for a huge part of the season. So I love that he, uh, Amari Cooper, is going right back to where uh, he already dominated. He has that rapport already firmly established um, with uh, Dak Prescott. 79 catches, 1,189 yards, eight scores, and again, that was banged up for half the season last year. Uh, so if he can stay healthy, that's a big if, if with him. He's never really been able to put that all together. Um, 
I really think he could blow up. And why? Even more so than last year, Mike McCarthy. Uh, this guy has made Devontae Adams a ridiculous target hog. Jordy Nelson a ridiculous target hog. Craig Jennings an insane target hog. That's about 10 years of wide receiver data there to tell you this number one is going to get peppered, and that's what Amari Cooper is going to be. He runs every route as good as any. It's great after the catch. You can give him the short balls, and he rips it up the seams. You can give him the long balls. I think he really steadies out. He's been so boomer bust. You don't know which games he's going to light it up and then which games he's going to disappear. I think Mike McCarthy is really going to steady this out. Kellen Moore already used him so well. He's back this year as the offensive coordinator. And he's going to be a perfect marriage between Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore. And, and keep in mind, too, McCarthy studied all offseason the Ravens, the Chiefs, the most explosive offenses in the game, what made them so good, and took notes. You got to imagine he really has some creative usages for Amari Cooper now. Uh, and they went out and paid this guy because they know how much more deadly this offense is, how much better Dak Prescott is with this guy. So you got to be thrilled that the main vein of this passing attack, Amari Cooper, is back. You got to treat him like a low end wide receiver one for how many times he's going to blow up for you. Two more quick wide receivers to get to here DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. This one really is all just about accuracy of the quarterback because Teddy Bridgewater has historically been one of the highest percentage passers. Even if he doesn't take a ton of deep shots, he loves the dink-dunk game, and that's all about what Joe Brady, this new offensive coordinator, is going to do. It's all about moving the wide receivers uh, around. Um, and Joe Brady describing his offense. We're going to be one that applies pressure. When he talks about his wide receivers, it's not about a position. It's about having the flexibility to move them all over. That's what he's going to do with these guys, get his speed in space. Both Moore and Curtis Samuel have that in spades, and they finally have a quarterback now that's going to deliver that mail as good as any, um, certainly as good as any that Moore or Samuel have played with because they've had garbage. Cam Newton, one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks when he's been on the field, Kyle Allen last year, just disgusting, probably the worst quarterback in the league whenever he was out there. Petty Bridgewater has completed 68% of his throws. Most are in that dink-dunk high percentage range, but that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do very well because of that familiarity with the offense he already has his time with Joe Brady and the Saints, Teddy Bridgewater. It's going to be the same type of system. you got to expect more. Maybe play that Michael Thomas-style role. should see 170 or so targets really up that red zone. Uh, only four touchdowns last year. I really think that number could take a huge spike. He was eighth most in yards after the catch last year, 392. I think he's going to double that this year. I really blow it out of the water. I think he drips in top seven upside. I love him in round three. You could take him as a wide receiver one. I I wouldn't be shocked if he's a top five wide receiver come the end this year. And Curtis Samuel, we talked about his deep speed. He was you know top seven all year in air yards, but nobody could connect on the long ball. Bridgewater does have that. I, he, he's got the arm strength and doesn't really love to push it deep. I do think uh, you know he's going to finally find those timely deep shots with Joe Brady and still some confidence because we saw Burrow whip that thing around the, the yard. I think he's going to do that again here with these two dangerous weapons. I love both of these guys, especially now that they get an uh, just immediate and huge accuracy upgrade with Teddy Bridgewater. Last but not least, Chris Godwin. This is just connecting dots here. Uh, in, in between which Bucks receiver would you rather have. But think about how much Brady has relied upon the slot wide receivers there. Um, 
in, in New England. He's going to, of course, do the same when he uh, comes there with the Bucks. And we already saw Godwin was peppered relentlessly out of the slot. We've seen that as staple of Bruce Arians. We saw it with Larry Fitzgerald for those three years in Arizona. We saw it last year with Godwin. So both that, that's kind of a philosophy of Arians and, and Tom Brady that's going to match perfectly. You give him a, a bigger, stronger, faster, uh, longer Julian Edelman, what's going to happen? I, to me, that's just a match made in heaven. I think out of those two wide receivers, Godwin definitely fits what Brady does so much better. That doesn't mean Evans is going to suck. I, I think Brady's going to have those Randy Moss type of stats, that willingness to chuck it down the field. I think is definitely going to be there with Mike Evans. But Godwin, week in and week out in that Julian Edelman type of role, is just going to be ridiculous with Tom Brady. So I love Godwin this year. He's going to have himself yet another insane season. Uh, and of the two, I think he benefits far more from Tom Brady being there uh, than Mike Evans does. Alrighty, back to your guys' questions and comments. I'm going to pull up the screen for tight ends and just any other names we're going to cover as risers here. Then a qu couple quick followers. I know we've been on this for quite some time. It's a long show, especially if you listen to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Maybe you break it into a two couple sessions here. Hopefully it's moving along for you despite being very stat filled. That's the goal here is to get you all the information uh, in a top, you know, quick form. Um, without kind of skipping on it. Oh yeah, doing good, no work until April. Good. Oh yeah, two's your teacher, man. I know that you got that going on as well. Uh, so enjoy that time, the quarantine, man. Stay health, stay safe. Uh, you know, get that that distancing going, the social distancing. Wolf can't breathe, Corona Wolf. I am getting out of breath here after talking all this. I want Adam Thielen in every league. I don't see him falling past the second. Says Corey. Even if he doesn't, you know, end a second with the target bump he's gonna get here uh, with digs out uh, is just going to be enormous. And again, Kubiak loves peppering his number one. He has no choice. There's no real question who the number one is anymore here. How do we feel about uh, players after they get their money? I think it's a great question, Corey, is that, you know, does their motivation start to slug? And it really comes down to the mentality of the player. You really, it, it's case by case here. There's certainly guys you can just look at and be like, this guy's a buffoon. You find the ones that are already out partying when they get paid, uh, you know, celebrating right away. And then the ones that just get right to work, calling up their wide receivers and, and getting the money. So I, to me, I, I, I'm, it's case by case. Derrick Henry does worry me a little bit because we've seen him get complacent at times. He's not really necessarily a partier, but that's why it's great that he got franchise tagged. He's got to, again, go out there and prove himself. I do think contract seasons, you know, being forced to prove yourself, I am all about uh, those type of guys. So, yeah, I do think it's unfortunate when guys get paid huge contracts and then don't handle themselves well. Is there anyone in particular you're worried about, Corey, uh, that just got paid and, uh, you know, it doesn't, ring true to you because you think they're going to get lazy. Chris can average 10 to 13 catches per game. Man, that's ridiculous and not even unrealistic because of how much Brady loves to pepper the slot and how open this guy gets. How many times did James Winston just sail balls over these guys' heads last year? And then the, the, the true danger there is how Brady is getting deep out of the slot. So yeah, Chris Godwin, I am just stoked for his prospects. I don't want to say Evans is going to suck now, um, but yeah, the one thing that could be different with Godwin and Evans that could be a downgrade is you can't expect the Bucks to be trailing quite as often, right, with Tom Brady at the helm. Think about how much of their points came in garbage time last year, uh, trailing hard and Winston having to play comeback mode. 
I don't know that we see that with Tom Brady being the, the, the quarterback there, a much better winner. So we'll see, Corey. I appreciate you coming in and, and commenting that. That might be one area that they end up uh, you know, falling here is because of the, the garbage time. Alrighty, guys, keep the questions coming in. I'm going to rip through these last names, hit you with the fallers, and then we'll be out of here. Let's get this done in, in 15 more minutes. That's that's my goal here. Uh, so, again, appreciate anybody. Who's, if you've been here for the long haul, man, you're a warrior if you can put up with my voice for that long. So I appreciate it. Uh, but let's finish this up. Let's wrap it up. And then, again, what, what questions to consider moving forward? That's kind of what we'll, we'll end the show with is what else do we need to track? We'll do a second live show maybe next week once we know the answers to those questions. Uh, but let's get in to my favorite tight end riser, Hayden Hurst, Mr. Gorelick Farms himself, Mahan's boy. I love Hayden Hurst next year with the Atlanta Falcons trading a second round pick to get this guy's services. The same cost as DeAndre Hopkins. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but nonetheless, clearly the Falcons wanted him after losing Austin Hooper, who we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, and that's because Dirk Cutter loves tight ends. In fact, he is the first to admit, straight up said, I'm the first to admit I like tight ends. Uh, because the numbers bear that out. The guy peppers the position, and the next one he's going to be doing that to is Hayden Hurst, an athletic freak, was drafted ahead of Lamar Jackson, the same draft class, uh, because of what he brought to the table, the number one tight end of that class. Just hasn't really gotten the chance to truly show off those skills and thrive, yet it's coming. Last year in this offense, the Dirk Cutter system, Austin Hooper was the number one tight end in fantasy until he got hurt in week 10. Better than Travis Kelsey, better than George Kittle. Ultimately caught you know almost 800 balls, six touchdowns, and nearly all of that came in those first 10 weeks. Was the tight end three in fantasy points per game when all was said and done because Cutter loves to pass to his tight ends. When he had Cameron Brayton, OJ Howard, they combined for 11 and 12 touchdowns in 2017 and 2018. Before that, Austin Safarian Jenkins was on pace for 90 targets and 9 scores in 2015. You go back to Tony Gonzalez's days, over 120 targets, back-to-back -back seasons with Dirk Cutter. Mercedes Lewis had 700 yards and 10 touchdowns when Cutter was with Jacksonville. It is so many years of data that tells you the tight end in a Cutter offense is going to feast. That's going to be Hayden Hurst. He's got the athleticism to be a true number one Cutter loves to send these guys deep down the seams vertically uh, using the corner fades, loves targeting these guys in the red zone, and they don't have anyone else, the Falcons, other than Hayden Hurst to really fill that Austin Hooper-sized hole. I would rather have Hayden Hurst next year in fantasy football than I would Austin Hooper. This guy is going to be a monster, uh, my favorite tight end sleeper already uh, because of the dirt cutter system, because of the vacated volume. I love Hayden Hurst next year. Do yourself a favor and take this guy in the late rounds. You will thank me every single time. And now who does he leave behind? Take a quick pause. Mark Andrews, going to be a monster now as the unquestioned Ravens tight end target hog. He was already a monster. There's, there's no two sets about this. One of the best value picks who I think Hayden Hurst will be this year. That was Mark Andrews this last year, as we told you, uh, coming into the season, that he was the guy to own in that Ravens offense. He was the main vein of that passing attack. Led the team with 98 targets, 64 catches, 852 yards, and 10 touchdowns. All of those 
led the team in each category, as again, we predicted. Um, but now, with Hayden Hurst gone, 39 targets depart. You got to imagine almost all of those are going to go to this guy that just dominated. This offense targeted tight ends higher than any other team. 43.6% of their targets went to tight ends. The Eagles were a distant second at 38.7. That is an insane slice of aerial pie going to the Ravens tight ends. And now Andrews has even more lockdown share of that enormous aerial pie to dominate. He's great down the seam. Greg Roman uses athletic tight ends as good as anybody in there. Mark Andrews led the league in deep targets with 20. Uh, he averaged 11.8 average depth of target A dot. That also led the league. And he didn't even do a ton of damage in the red zone, which is another area that big body could become even stronger, even better this coming year. So I love uh, Mark Andrews even more so. He's jumped up to that Zach Ertz style tier. You got Kelsey, you got Kittle, and then it's Ertz or Andrews. Uh, whichever one you want to take at your as your third tight end is okay with me. I am. He's gonna ball out this, this offense too. What if this offense gets even better? They average 32 points per game. What if Lamar Jackson takes that next step, especially as a passer? He's already the favorite target, as you say right there, Corey. Already the number one target. And if this offense is in the red zone even more, and he takes a, a touchdown spike to go with what already happened, you know, 15 touchdowns is not impossible for this guy as the clear-cut, unquestioned Ravens tight end here. A lesser name, but maybe the breakout tight end of this year. That's going to be Blake Jarwin of the Cowboys. Jason Witten's out, dominated the snaps last year. Jarwin was only a 35 to 39% snap player, but they have committed to him. <laughs> Despite barely playing in these three years, they toss him a monstrous $24.25 million three-year extension, $9.25 guaranteed. Follow the money, folks. That tells you they value this guy as much as anyone on their team. He is, as Dak Prescott has called him, the best athlete, uh, pure, you know, number by number, size, speed that the team has. 6'5", 248, runs like a 4'7", uh, 40. So for that size, this guy can move. And we had RJ Ochoa on last uh, January, the guy he kept talking about. Jarwin, Jarwin, Jarwin. If there's one guy I want you to know about, it is Blake Jarwin. He's had ridiculous games in his past. Don't, don't forget last year, uh, two seasons ago rather, seven catches, 119 yards, three touchdowns to end the season in 2018. So we've seen it before. We've seen him dominate for little brief stretches. Now he's going to finally have that full lockdown tight end role. Now McCarthy historically has not used his tight ends too heavily in the passing game. But I do think, unless they go out and get Manny Sanders, that's a rumor here. But if not, he's going to, at worst, be the number three weapon here. Yeah, you got Amari Cooper. Then you got Gallup. And yeah, sure, Zeke in the passing game too. But I really think Jarwin, 50 to 60 catches, 700 or so yards, 6 to 8 touchdowns. Very realistic for this guy that the team clearly loves given the money they gave him that Dak Prescott has raved about time and time again that the beat writers have said is long overdue for a breakout. I am an enormous fan of Blake Jarwin. I wanted to throw this next guy on the list. Jordan Howard. The definition of an early down, uh, down one and two plotter. But... 
What's his competition to Miami for carries right now? Kalen Balaj, historically inefficient. What was it, like a 2.2 yards per carry? I mean, there was a game where he had like 15 carries for 17 yards and bumped up his yards per carry for the season. They have nobody else. Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't even hit 300 rushing yards, and he led this team in yards and touchdowns. Insane, disgusting, pathetic as a rushing offense. One of the worst offensive lines, but they've already signed Ted Karras, Eric Flowers, really bolstering at that that front seven. Then they have a bunch of picks coming up in this draft. The reason why, though, I'm still kind of, I don't want to go too deep into Jordan Howard here, who led the, you know, the, the most in Bears history, rushing yards his first two years, running back 10, running back 14 in that span, had running back eight numbers with the Eagles until he got hurt. This guy can still plow. He's going to get you 4.5 yards per carry. Very nice power back. Probably going to get the goal line roll. But all this to say, there's no doubt they're going to add an early round rookie at the position. They worked out privately Jonathan Taylor. Uh, J.K. Dobbins has been consistently linked with this team. They're going to add somebody that's going to have an every down style role in this Chan Gailey spread attack. They need a running back that can catch passes. And right now, that's not Jordan Howard. His hands are pure stone. So don't love Jordan Howard. I do like the fact that he might be a heavy touchdown scorer. This offense really took off the second half of the year. They went from one of the worst in the league to a top half. Ryan Fitzpatrick's back. He has some great experience leading very uh, dominant Chan Gailey attacks. And Chris Ivory, not far off from what Jordan Howard's skill set is. He was a running back eight in fantasy just a few seasons ago, was the AFC leading rusher. So if Howard does remain atop the depth chart, you got to consider him a top 25 guy, but you got to also expect they, they've been so linked to rookie power backs, uh, rookie pass catchers nonetheless, too. I, I don't imagine that stands. <coughs> and last but not least is the Browns. I, I got to mention, they get the prized acquisition on the offensive line. That's Jack Conklin. I was. Pissed off they signed Austin Hooper. Why the fuck do you need this tight end when your offensive line is so bad that money should have been allocated to Jack Conklin? Then they go out and get Conklin. The best right tackle by far in this class. Uh, was great as the number three right tackle by Pro Football Focus last year. Huge addition for Baker Mayfield, who was under constant duress because of horrendous tackle play last year. Huge for the run game. He's a mauling run blocker. So Nick Chubb. Uh, especially because Conklin's a great athlete, too. He's going to fit that zone-blocking scheme of Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski, uh, very, very well there with the Browns. And we've seen that, what it did for Dalvin Cook. I mean, Nick Chubb with a better offensive line, a better blocking scheme. I would be stunned if he's not top three in the league in rushing yards, maybe even leads the league in rushing yards, Nick Chubb. So just a, a huge boost to get one enormous addition along the line. They were already pretty good in the interior. Their tackles, the Browns, though, were horrendous. If they get a nice left tackle at that early draft pick this year, they've really done the offseason quite well uh, instead of just loading up on skills, bolstering the, the big fronts, the two tight end sets with Hooper now. I think they're going to be deadly in that run-based, play-action-style offense. Uh, I'm, I'm huge about him. Alrighty, back to the mailbag, and then I'm going to show you who we have for fallers here. As I said, I wanted to wrap this up in 15 minutes. I got about six minutes to get through all these fallers. So let's see what we got. Corey, thanks so much for the interaction. I, everybody else tuned in. Give me some comments here. Get some likes, shares. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. But Corey, I love you that you keep going here. 
Jarwin, definitely a late-round sleeper, a bye-week savior. Absolutely all about it. I'll keep an eye on Howard if Tua lands there. Uh, Balaj does scare me. Oh, come on. What, what the fuck scares you about Balaj? He's completely useless. Uh, the, the, the Balaj should not scare you at all, Corey. The his, worst running back in terms of history, in terms of efficiency here. One of the most disgusting seasons Ever. Yeah, the line didn't do him any favors, but he's awful. So don't don't let Belage be the one that scares you. If they draft a rookie now, that's going to be what scares you. That's what you got to track here. Alrighty, guys. Let's wrap it up here with your fallers. Most of these are going to be obvious. I'm going to spend a good amount of time on Diggs and Hooper here. The rest of them are just, you know, being key pieces of the offense surrounding talent being removed. And let's start there with Deshaun Watson. How could you not be a downgrade when you lose a weapon like DeAndre Hopkins? He himself, Deshaun Watson, tweeted out, no one's done more for me in my early part of my career uh, than you. I'm going to miss you beyond belief, big brother, whatever he calls him. So Watson's well aware this is a huge hit for the offense. This was the guy during broken plays. And again, this offensive line sucks. So there was tons of broken plays when they had him. Uh, nobody else, Deshaun Watson, looked to more than DeAndre Hopkins. Chucked it up, 50-50 balls. His guy would go up and get it, win it for him. Uh, so Deshaun Watson, going to miss his uh, DeAndre Hopkins safety valve in that sense. And then, you know, Will Fuller, yeah, he's explosive, but can he stay healthy for more than 10 games? Who else is behind him? Kenny Stills has his own hamstring rose. Kiki Cutie, they, they signed Randall Cobb, yay. But if they don't get, you know, Robbie Anderson... They don't have a first-round pick in the draft, so unless somebody falls to round two, Watson's going to be looking at one of, if not the worst weapons cabinet, especially when Fuller has his inevitable injury. He's got no one to throw to. He's got a pretty bad line in front of him protecting. I hate Watson in that type of situation. I love the talent. I love his scrambling ability, but I, I don't trust this guy at all next year. He's dropped out of my top 10 quarterbacks from my number four quarterback to 11 maybe even worse because they're just safer around him. Someone's going to draft him based on his name, but it won't be me. Uh, I'm just not a fan of uh, Deshaun Watson without Hopkins. It's it's disgusting. Next, Stephon Diggs. Definitely a down arrow, in my opinion, going from Minnesota to Buffalo. Why would that be a down arrow? He you know, was sharing number one duties with Adam Thielen. And it was a run-heavy offense. Why would this be considered down? Well, for one, he goes from one run-heavy scheme to another. Uh, the Vikings were second to last with 30.9 pass plays per game. So they really only had anywhere to go up in the sheer volume standpoint. Uh, but how much? 34.6 pass plays. So, you know, four plays per game more are going to the air with the Bills than last year. Uh, and even though Thielen, yeah, it was a, a true number one, now you got John Brown and Cole Beasley. There really wasn't a number two there that was ever getting targets with Minnesota. So now a pretty small aerial pie is divided between more mouths. So yeah, Brown got 115 targets as their number one. You got to imagine Diggs, who had only 94 last year, gets that. So sure, we're going to get a, probably a quantity increase here as the, the number one, but the quality is where Diggs takes a huge hit, or should I say a deep hit, uh, because Kirk Cousins was so much better as a deep ball thrower than Josh Allen. I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is elite, but he ranked fifth in uh, Prelia Profiler's true completion percentage. It counts for drops. He had a 76%. Conversely, Allen was 33rd 
not even a top 32 quarterback, uh, 64.7% true completion. That's atrocious. And then the splits get even worse when you look at the deep ball. Uh, Cousins was 10th in deep ball percentage uh, completion, 44.3%, and 3rd in deep passer rating, 119.7. Allen was 23rd and 20th in those respective categories out of 24 guys, so almost dead last. He's completed 12% of his throws of 30 or more yards for 3 TDs and 3 ints, only 29% of 20 to 29 yard throws. That's disgusting. Now, of course, a talent like Diggs is going to help those stats rise, but he did so much of his damage on the deep ball. 54.5% of Diggs' percentage of fantasy production last year came on the deep ball. 635 yards, all sixes of TDs were on the deep ball. So if those woes don't get fixed, a guy that was so reliant on deep yards for his production is going to take an enormous step back. I do think, you know, he's got the talent to get it done. As we talked about, Matt Harmon says the best route runner in the NFL right now gets it done against everything, could be used a little bit better than he's ever been used before. All of that is true, um, but these accuracy discrepancies are huge woes, so you really got to hope that these two get on the, the same page, especially because Diggs, a known attitude problem, complained about Cousins' accuracy woes, complained about the targets he was seeing, now is facing worse accuracy and more target competition. This guy unravels quickly. It could get ugly in Buffalo. Another big down arrow, Austin Hooper going from that dirt cutter scheme we raved about. I don't need to give you all those stats a second time in a row, uh, but he goes from this incredible tight end friendly offense uh, to one of the least pass heavy offenses in the league here. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, as we just said, 30.9 pass attempts per game, second to last in the league. So from a sheer volume standpoint, he goes from the pass happiest offense uh, with 45 pass attempts per game in Dirk Cutter's offense last year to the second to lowest passing attempts. Now he's also competing with David Njoku, two tight end sets. Originally, you'd think this might signal the end of David Njoku in Cleveland. Nope. Uh, They've already said, we want to keep this guy. We want to run 12 personnel. Nobody runs it more than Kevin Stefanski. So real life-wise, great fit for this scheme. But fantasy-wise, the volume just is going to be less sheer volume. And just as much, you know, he, he was facing competition with Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and now he's got Odell Beckham, and Jarvis Landry to compete with, and David Njoku as well. So more target competition and a smaller aerial pie. None of that really tends to, to line up. Now, Kevin Stefanski, they did target tight ends on 24% of their throws. That was ninth in the NFL. But what did that mean for their top guy, Kyle Rudolph? 48 targets. We could see you know uh, Hooper go from a potential 100-target guy to a 50-target guy. He could see those numbers cut in half. He's all the way down to my tight end 16 after ranking in my top five tight ends if he was with the Falcons. And especially, too, because so much of his value, 59% of his snaps last year was when he was lined up in the slot. That's where Jarvis Landry's a monster. So what's going to happen here? What's the overlap going to be? Are they going to run two slots out? No, they're all about the two tight end personnel. So... Yeah, he's going to get a decent amount of touchdowns in the red zone, but just like Kyle Rudolph was last year, tight end, touchdown or bust, that's going to probably be uh, our, our guy here, Austin Hooper. So not a fan at all of this landing spot. This next one, Julian Edelman. This goes, I'll, I'll go quick. Tom Brady, 
The, the chemistry was unreal. The peppering of him was unreal. Yeah, this offense is still going to run through the slot. He had uh, seven catches, 76 yards with Jimmy Garoppolo. He, you know, two games, averaged 12 targets over those two games, but it's not Brady. And that weaponry, that, that chemistry is gone now. So Edelman definitely takes a hit. That's a quick and easy one to go through. No matter who his quarterback is, sure, they're still going to run the New England system through the slot, but that is a tough hit to lose his guy. And then just some wide receivers that are no longer their number ones. You got to think of guys like John Brown, who had 115 targets last year. You got to think of guys um, like Christian Kirk, who had 105 targets last year. No way they see the same type of volume with DeAndre Hopkins and Stephon Diggs, respectively, now siphoning those number one looks. So do they get lesser defensive attention? Yes, and especially for a guy like John Brown getting deep. If Stephon Diggs is drawing double teams and he gets single coverage, maybe John Brown's even better. Less volume, but higher quality volume. I could see that. But Christian Kirk, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is just that much more of a vacuum. So yeah, Kirk's going to get secondary attention, probably eat up a little bit in the slot. But from a sheer volume standpoint, these guys are going down. And last but not least, A.J. Green stuck with the Bengals. And that's really hit there. You're still a Bengal. He was a free agent. Maybe he could have gone to the Patriots and played with Brady. They could have kept him there. Maybe he could go to, uh, I don't know, Russell Wilson's number one. There's so many options. Go to the Cowboys. There's some great situations, and now he's just stuck back home. Now, Burrow's the real deal, and I think Burrow's the real deal. A.J. Green should still be solid in fantasy. It's just more so there were so many sexy situations for him out there, and he's not going to any of them. Whew. Hour and a half, folks. 90 minutes. If you listen to this entire podcast, shoot me a DM. I, maybe I'll send you a shirt for the you putting up with my voice for 130 minutes. Uh, but those of you that tuned into the live broadcast, thanks so much. I am the Wolf of Roto Street, rotostreetjournal.com, where we breed and feed fantasy wolves to interact with me. You can find me at Roto Street Wolf. You can find us on Instagram, Roto Street Journal. Obviously, if you're watching on Facebook, you already know where to find us, Roto Street Journal here. Uh, DMs are always open. We have this tough time of quarantining where there's no sports, but there's still fantasy, free agency all churning out. So DM me. Let's chat some fantasy, pass the time together. I'm here for you. I love this shit beyond belief, as you guys know. Um, we'll, we'll have another one of these next week when we find out some key questions. Where is Todd Gurley going to go now? Where is Melvin Gordon going to land? What about Robbie Anderson? Who's going to be the Bucks running back? Who's gonna Is Kareem Hunt going to get signed by anybody? We still definitely have some crucial free agents left to discuss uh, but hopefully this gives you a nice overall uh, stat-driven analysis of all the guys that have already landed. I hope you interact with me. You can find us all there. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, Fantasy Fullback Dive, where we pave your path to 2020 titles, please give us a review. Consider you know sharing this out to anybody that might need that fix. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Any help you guys give us growing. But thanks again so much for sticking with me through these 90 minutes. I hope you enjoyed them. Any feedback, comments, questions, anything at all, you always know where to find me at Roto Street Wolf, Roto ST Journal. Alrighty, guys. Thanks so much. Let's win it this year, Kyle. I love it. Please talk more football. We need it. I'll, I'll go live every day if you boys want. Uh, I love this stuff. It, it gives us a little bit of distraction here in this quarantine times. Alrighty, guys. Thanks again so much for the listen. I'm the Wolf. Uh, consider downloading our app and best of luck this offseason, 2020. Let's get through it together again.
We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. Football right there, folks.